may be seated. Again, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Steve Brown relates a story of a soldier in World War I who was so distraught with the war that he deserted. He tried to find his way to the coast so he could catch a boat and make his way back incognito to his homeland in England. In the darkness of the night, he stumbled onto a roadside. Road sign, excuse me. It was so pitch black that he he was so lost He had no idea where he was and what the sign said. He decided to climb the pole. When he got to the cross beam, he held on to read the sign. Taking out a match, he lit it and looked closely in the face of Jesus Christ. He had just climbed an outdoor crucifix. Stunned by what he saw, he realized the shame of his life. He was looking into the face of one who had endured it all and had never turned back. The next morning, the soldier was back in the trenches. He was going to desert. He was not going to do his duty. He looked into the face of Christ, just a wooden face, but decided, you know what, I need to do what's right. I need to do what he wants. Now again, by the way, we don't have a crucifix. Our Lord is not on a cross. He's in heaven. But he is looking down upon us and holding us accountable for our growth, correct? Is that correct? We have a duty. And actually, the duty is found in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. See, he's expecting this fruit to be, put up, uh, to be put into our lives. And he's building it, but we have to participate in it. There's something we have to do. You know, the Bible says to be doers of the Word, not only hearers. Don't just be a hearer. The last part says, deceiving your own selves. Like, in other words, it's not just enough to hear the Word of God. It's not just enough to know the Word of God. We actually have to be doers of the Word of God. And as we approach the fruit, again, singular, that's being produced by the Spirit of God, but as we walk with Him, as we're filled by Him, He's expecting the fruit, this fruit, to be produced in us, as I've been bringing out an apple for the last few weeks, that the richness and the depth of the fruit, of this particular fruit of the Spirit that your love would be deeper, your joy would be greater, your peace would be more overwhelming. You would start seeing more and more patience in your life. In fact, let's go through these. Again, love. Love has to do with selflessness. A commitment to others to do what is right, both in word and deed and speech. Question, are you starting to see that in your life more? Like if you looked at your life in the last six months, last, in the last month, in the last couple of weeks even, do you see where God is trying to instill a greater love in your heart for others, for himself and for others? You see selfishness being weaned out, replaced by selflessness. Or you just know that's what I am. Well, how about joy? Again, a deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of a person who knows all is well between himself and his Lord. And it's based on spiritual realities. One of the things I haven't encouraged you to do is to actually grab a hold of a spiritual reality. And and, um, like uh, chew on it or suck on it like you do hard candy. Okay? Get a couple spiritual realities that you can hold on to that will create greater and greater joy in your life. Again, a spiritual reality such as that I've been adopted into the family of God. Think of yourself if God had not come after you. Where would you be? Where would you be right now? Where would you be if if the Spirit of God was not in your life? How would you be responding? Obviously very fleshly. Think of the spiritual reality of heaven and hell, that there is a literal hell, that those who have died and never received Jesus Christ, actually they are not in hell yet. They're in Hades. But someday there's the final judgment in the lake of fire, which is hell. And the torment and the anguish of those who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And yet if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been forgiven into the family 
And next time you, I mean, next time that you take your last breath, I mean, when you take your final breath, you're in the presence of the Lord. Absent with the body, from the body, present with the Lord. That's a spirituality that, that should give us great joy. You might be looking at the news around us. You might even be looking at your own, the, the news about yourself. And we're getting older and things are breaking down and falling apart. Or whatever it might be. But the reality is this, that if you're in Christ, your home is in heaven. It gets better from this point on, right? In fact, for a Christian, the worst that you'll ever have it is here on this earth, right? Everything is better from this point on. That's, that's where we get our joy. Joy is not found in financial stability. Joy is not found even in a peaceful nation. Joy is not found in health, ultimately. It is found in a spiritual reality. Grab a hold of some. I've just given you a couple hundreds grab a hold of spiritual realities and suck on that like you would a piece of hard candy by the way the mature person takes a hard piece of hard candy and actually savors it correct what do children do crunch 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 can i have another piece and i think sometimes with spiritual realities we're like children crunch 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 can i have another one and god says wait a second i just i just showed you one suck on it for a while really taste this flavor How about peace? Again, refers similarly to joy. It doesn't have to do with circumstance. It refers to the tranquility of mind that comes from that saving relationship with God. I am saved. Therefore, he gives us peace. Peace with God, peace of God. And because we are at peace with God, we can be a peacemaker. And then number four, long-suffering, or some of your versions say patience. Patience. Long-spirited, you don't lose heart with others, even though they might hurt you. I like how one guy said it. To become to become patient or long-suffering, one has to be long-bothered. <laughs> Some of us are easily bothered, quickly bothered. We have to become long-bothered. You know, if you see what Christ has done in your life, if you really understand grace, then we can say, you know, people, I, we've we've bothered God for a long, long time, even as we are believers. We, we sin against him. And because he's patient with us, we can be patient with others. We come to another three characteristics that we're going to be looking at today, and that is kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, I noticed that uh, in your bulletin, there's an outline, but you can disregard that outline. Because that was an outline I did three weeks ago, four weeks ago. What happened was I sent the... Uh, I, you know, I was in a rush to get out of here at, on uh, Friday because I had to get some other things done and uh, tried to get it to Chris's secretary, and she said, I can't get it. I can't get it out of Dropbox. I said, well, let me send an email. So I ran in my office, click, 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 sent it. You got it? Yep, okay, out of here. And I sent her the wrong message, so that's why you got the wrong one. But you might want to flip that page over, you know, write, write some things down. Who knows? Uh, use it for your birdcage, whatever. Um, you know, I like these, uh, I really like these kindness, goodness, faithfulness, especially on this day, Mother's Day. You know, when you think of a mother, you think of kindness usually. Sometimes dad doesn't, you know, we don't get the same uh, reputation, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Uh, but mothers usually do. But again, we want to make sure that we're looking at this from God's point of view, supernatural kindness, supernatural goodness, Remember, no one is good, even your nice, kindly mother, unless she is filled with the Spirit of God, you can't produce this. Uh, I am really blessed to have a great mother. Um, I'm going to go see her after uh, church today. But, you know, as I think of mom, I think of these particular characteristics, not only the three I mentioned, but all nine, of really being developed in her life. I have really seen my mother grow. And again, she's 60 plus. But she, she is one of these people that wants to grow. She's not satisfied where she's at. In fact, she like, like asked me, you know, like I'm over her house, you know, do you want to get up at 5.30 with me to, you know, listen to whatever preacher she listens to at 5.30 in the morning? Well, mom, no, I have my own devotions. But, you know, and then she has like, you know, she listens to a different uh, radio station over where she lives. But the point is she has, you know, Jer- Jeremiah and then MacArthur and then Swindoll and she's just always wanting to grow. And, you know, again, I, I trust as a mother 
If you're a mother here, or father, or child, but if you're a mother, are you really on that pursuit to grow? Because really, the greatest way you can be a blessing to both God and others and your own children is to grow and to manifest these characteristics, okay? And sometimes as natural mothers or a natural father, just living in the the natural realm of things, we kind of look at kindness and maybe give it a different, different definition than what God would give it, or goodness or faithfulness. So again, we want to make sure we get God's definition. Now again, if you have your outline, and since that's useless, turn it over, white page. It, basically, there's going to be three characteristics. Three if I can get through them. Three if my voice holds up. I've, I've been having problems with my voice this last week. Um, but basically, I'm going to break it down like this. I'm going to give you the definition. Okay, I am going to give you a counterfeit and then how do you cultivate? Okay, that's kind of what we've been doing the last other four characteristics. First of all, kindness, or some of you have the King James that says gentleness. Um, by the way, this word kindness is very closely related to the next word, goodness. There is a distinction, but it's very, very slight. Uh, the root form of this word kindness is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. Okay? So again, it's a characteristic of love. It means the idea is act of goodwill. Active. Underline the idea of active. Or to say it this way, to the tender concern for others. There's a tender concern. It's more than just a random act of consideration, though, or concern. It's not just a random act. It's a constant readiness to help. Again, we're not just talking about mothers, we're talking about any Christian. Kindness means there's a constant readiness to help. The extension of God's grace to the people around us through practical actions of caring. It's doing something. Sometimes we think of kindness as more or less just an attitude. This is an attitude in action. It's saying, I'm looking, I'm seeing, and I want to respond to the need. Okay, that's what kindness is. Now what's interesting is Romans 3, 12 very familiar passage, says there is none who does good, not even one. And actually that word good there is this word kindness. The idea is this, in ourselves there's really no one that does kindness, active good, selflessness. Now again, God is kind, and with each one of these characteristics, especially today, I want to make sure I emphasize that each one of these God is, Okay. God is kind. Romans 2 4 says, Or do you think lightly of the richness, or of the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Now think about this. The kindness of God led you to repentance. You were born a sinner. If you had died in that state, you would have gone to hell. Actually, well, I shouldn't say it that way. I believe this. That before the age, I guess you'd say it, accountability, or, or before you come to the point of, of not being able to make, or being able to make the right choice, let's say it this way, a baby that dies, instant heaven. Okay, let's make sure we understand. I think Job's very clear about that, and how he says, if he died, he'd been in a better place before, the, before he ever was born. But, once you are accountable, once you understand the truth, If it wasn't for the kindness of God who led you to repentance, you'd be still on your way to hell. See, God was kind. He looked down with grace. He looked down with mercy. God is a kind God because he led us to repentance. Ephesians 2.7 says, In order that in the ages to come, he, God, might show the surpassing riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's found in Christ. He offered His Son. He has offered His Son to you. He allows you to receive His Son for forgiveness of sin. God is kind. But when the kindness and the love of God, Titus 3, 4, the the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom... Catch it. Whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He just poured it out. He is so kind. So kind. In fact, Peter 2, 
Verse 3 says, if you've tasted of the kindness of the Lord. And the verse just before that talks about that you will desire His Word. That you will be transformed. The whole idea of that passage is, if you've really tasted of the kindness of the Lord, you're going to want to become more and more like Him. I trust that you are. That you, that you have a constant readiness to help. Again. Now, this constant readiness of help can be counterfeited. In other words, we may have a constant readiness to help, but it could be for our own purposes. By the way, that's why Romans says none is good. It's not that you don't see a person helping if they're unsaved. But what it does, what it is, is there's always these motivations behind it. They're not pure. All right, let's look at a counterfeit. A counterfeit, a manipulation, someone who might do a kind deed, but it was for his own purposes. How about Jacob? Show kindness to Esau, but he stole his birthright in the process. I'm starving here. Eh, for his own purposes. How about this one? Jael treated Sisera to a bottle of milk and a few moments of rest in Judges 4 and then took his life as he slept. Yeah, I mean, she looked like she was showing kindness. Although, How about Delilah? Spoke words of love to Samson, but then betrayed him. Sometimes we can counterfeit it. The key word is manipulation. We do something, but it's not with a pure, pure motivation. When God says He wants us, part of the fruit is kindness, is He's saying that we have a, a readiness to help, a readiness to serve, but there's no impure motivation associated with it. We're not doing it for selfish reasons. Let's look at uh, the cultivation of it. Again, it's otherness. That makes sense, right? I mean, kindness, it's others. It's, the way I always think about it is it's with your antenna up. Are you the type of person that has your antennas up for the needs around you? And then when you see a need, now, sometimes we see the need and then we rationalize it away. Well, you know, if I called them, they might think that I was butting in. Or if I wrote them a no, would they really take it well? Or if I called them, you know, I'm busy. And then it just, you know. But I'm saying, what is kindness? An act of goodwill? A constant readiness to do right? And then you get it done. Okay? You get it done. It's hard to get it done. It's hard to be other-centered. We want to be self-centered. Let's look at Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, the Good Samaritan. So just ask yourself, you know, you see yourself called to do this duty, you know, like the soldier who got back into the trenches. And sometimes we have opportunities to be kind and we don't take them. What we really should do is repent and say, Lord, I, I, I want to do right. I want your spirit to guide me. I want to be proactive. Again, we need to show kindness to those outside the church. And again, if we think of kindness as selflessness, outgoing, usefulness, benevolent, availability, that's what you see in the Good Samaritan. Actually, I, I'm only going to read a couple parts, but verse 29, but he wanting to justify himself said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? You know, the lawyer, who's my neighbor? Asked. Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that's a long, treacherous path, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. I mean, do you see the state of this person? Now, by chance... We see some people walk by. A certain priest came down. And when he saw him, he passed by. Verse 32, And a Levi, he arrived at the place and came, looked, and passed by. By the way, these were supposed to be the spiritual ones. But then a certain Samaritan, the outcast. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as like dogs. As he journeyed, where came where he was. And when he saw him, he had, now catch that, he had compassion he had compassion and then passed by on the other side. 
Sometimes that's what we do. We have compassion and then we just keep moving. No, no, he didn't keep moving. So he went, uh, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. That's a lot of money, a couple of days' wage. Gave them to the innkeeper, said to him, Take care of the, him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. I mean, Jesus is answering, who's, you know, what's a good neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Again, ask the question. The outcast comes. By the way, a Samaritan was of mixed racial stock. Here's a man in dire need, robbed, beaten, left for dead. And two self-righteous men just walked on by. But look at verse 36. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. You know, sometimes when we look at the Good Samaritan, we think that the neighbor he's referring to is the half-dead man. That's not the answer. The neighbor is the one who had compassion. You see what I'm saying? It's not the person that was hurting in the story. It's the person that, that took care of the need. So again, the neighbor is used not in the sense of a person in, who needs my help, but a person who is able to and who does furnish the help required. Are we good neighbors? Or do we have people around us in great need and we just keep walking by? And I know we, with a sneer, look at the certain priest and the Levite, but sometimes that's us. We just keep walking by. So again, kindness does not only desires another's welfare, it works towards it, towards welfare. In other words, seeking to meet the need. Maybe radically, Luke chapter 6 says, but love your enemies, do kindness, or excuse me, do goodness, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. So He's even saying, listen, you need to do good and kindness to those even who are evil. So again, as we cultivate kindness, let's not just look at people that we like, <laughs> because again, the Samaritan dealt with a total stranger and met his complete need. The neighbor is not the hurting person. The neighbor is the one who's willing to meet the need of the hurting person. So that's one idea, one way to for the cultivation. One other one is found in Ephesians 4.32. It says, And be kind to one another. Now it goes from outside the church to inside the church. We need to be kind to one another. We need to be willing, ready to meet the needs of people within the body of Christ. A constant readiness to help. I like what uh, Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 11. He says this, I want to come to Rome, and he says for this reason, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you might be established. One of the greatest ways to be useful in the body of Christ, because that's what the word kindness means, useful, benevolent, meeting a need, is to use your spiritual gift. Bottom line, God gave you a gift to be a blessing to others. If you're not using it, you're not being the blessing. Use your spiritual gift. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I would say this, start moving. Because the best way to steer a car is when it's moving. You know, you can sit there in the driveway. Oh, I'm going right, I'm going left, I'm going uh, sharp turn. No, you haven't gone anywhere. You've got to start the car moving. When it comes to uh, gift, learning your, your spiritual gift, start using. Just start serving. And God will direct. Remember, God gave it to you for, for use of, to His body. He wants you to not only know it, the spiritual gift, but use it. And use it effectively. Let me give you one other uh, way that this can be uh, cultivated. Usefulness. In the parenting realm. Think about the parenting realm. Parents. Husbands, wives, mothers, fathers. Let's think about mothers since it's Mother's Day. See, mothers sometimes are just so kind. It's just, it's just ah, isn't she cute? Talk about their baby. Even though they might be 16. 
But this is where I think sometimes mothers are not kind. And maybe you're one that have children still home. But you know, the Scripture says this, chasing your son while there is still hope. It also says, discipline him promptly. What's the point? Though your child is your child, came from your womb, you still have to discipline. And sometimes I find mothers trying to love their kids do not discipline and chasten, chasten them. And you know what? They, the, the way the Scripture paints it is this. There's a window of time that there's hope because you have to seek to grab that heart. By the way, unless they get saved, unless that child puts their faith and trust in Christ, that's the, that's the ultimate transformation. But along that process, how can we help as parents, both mothers and fathers? By chastening, by disciplining, by holding them to a standard. Because if you can hold them to that standard, you're showing them that God has even a greater standard. But I can't do it, Daddy. That's right. And that's why you need a Savior. Do you see how that's even part of the process of redemption? But again, parents, don't falter in the area of discipline because that is useful for the child. Otherwise, you could very easily raise a fool. So kindness, kind, kindness, again, constant readiness to help. Let's look at the next one, goodness. Goodness. The definition of goodness, but actually this is a hard word to really define. It, it relates very closely to kindness. But here it differs in perhaps this, more of an active term. Okay, even more active. So you really have kindness and goodness, and they're both active, but goodness is even more active. It has a lot to do with generosity. Some Greek scholars say it this way, where kindness is maybe the more gentler, goodness has a tendency to be sterner. Okay, if you you had to divide this act of goodness... It's gentler. So really, as I just talked to you about parents and discipline, it's really the combination of being gentle and yet stern together. That's how your parenting should be. That's how your discipline should be. Uh, You can see sternness in Matthew 23. Matthew 23 with our Lord. By the way, this is not nice, okay? And I, I get irritated when people say, well, that's not nice. And we're not told to be nice, okay? I mean, you can be nice and... But the idea is this. It's not like, well, I have to be nice to be Christian. I have to be nice to be godly. No, no, you have to be kind. You have to be good. You have to speak the truth. You have to speak it in love. Here, I don't think Jesus was nice. He was godly. He was truthful. Look at verse 13, Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Emphasis. How about verse 14? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Do you see how stern this is? And yet this is goodness. This is the goodness of the Lord telling a bunch of hypocrites, listen, you're, you're moving towards judgment. You need to change your ways. He says it again in verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Verse 16, he says, blind guides. Verse 17, fools and blind. Verse 19, fools and blind. 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 25, 27, 29. And yet you'd say, well, that's not nice. Well, in our definition, maybe, well, that's not the point. That's goodness right there. That is goodness right there. Because he is telling someone that is headed towards hell, you need to change direction. And sometimes that's what we have to do. Just those terms. So again, this word goodness, MacArthur says, has to do with moral and spiritual excellence that is known for its sweetness and active kindness. Okay, sweetness. But again, sometimes it has a flavor of sternness. (laughs) But he goes on and says this, you can be morally upright but still manifest the grace of but still not manifest the grace of goodness. In other words, you can be morally right, but still not be actively seeking to minister to others. How does that come? How does that play out in Christian life? Smugness. You come, you sit, you learn, you have it together, your life is together, your family is together, you're blessed, you're joyful, but it doesn't work itself out to others. 
See, God saved us to be a conduit. I think we understand that, right? We are a conduit, and, and my wife and I periodically talk about this, we, not in those terms, but just the fact that we need to do more. Because God saved me, but now I need to be a conduit to you and to others. We need to be a conduit. And it's easy for us sometimes just to say, you know, it's enough. I'm tired, and I'm blessed, and I'm happy. And, you know, let them figure it out. No, no. God is the one that is proactive. In fact, in Romans 5, it says this, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. And yet, perhaps for a good man, some would dare even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love towards us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're still sinners, He came and rescued. So I need to be proactive. Just like God, and again, while we're still sinners, that means while we're still haters of Him, He was good towards us. So you might find somebody that even is frustrating to you, irritating, maybe even an enemy. And we need to be good. By the way, only God is good. Remember when the certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, this is what he said in Luke chapter 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good, same word, but one, that is God. So really, only God is truly good. But again, He saves us to be good. He saves us to become more like His Son. You know, if you want a a good example of uh, this goodness, I think of Barnabas. Think about Barnabas. You know, when it's in, I think it's Acts chapter 11, when uh, he finds out that there's a revival going on in Antioch, he goes and he gets Saul, who then becomes Paul, and brings him back. And I think he knows this, that as he's bringing him back, this man is going to supersede him in a a point in time. And yet, if it wasn't for Barnabas stepping in at that moment, Saul, again, I know, I understand sovereignty, but if it wasn't for God using Barnabas at that moment, Saul would have just been out there ministering on his own. But because he was connected to Barnabas, connected with the revival, and then from there, everything else happened in Saul's life, Paul's life. But again, Barnabas the encourager, that's that's the type of goodness that we're talking about here. People who are searching and rescuing other people, whether it's they need salvation or even just other Christians who are just out there in the eddy of life, just kind of going around in a circle, just can't seem to get out, can't really fly, as it were. And you have like a Barnabas that comes alongside. And then you find Barnabas doing it again. John Mark, right? Have the, have the, the issue with Paul. They split ways. Paul takes uh, Silas, John, Mark with Barnabas. And, by the way, did John Mark ever do anything else in his life after that? What? What did John Mark do? Huh? Minister to Paul. Very useful. What else did he do? Wrote the book of Mark. He was useful, very useful, useful to our Lord. Let's think about a counterfeit. What would be a counterfeit to goodness? I would say this, the counterfeit is hypocrisy. See, goodness says, you know, I want to do it for you. And it looks, well, it should be, looks good, because it is good. Hypocrisy says this, I'm going to look good, but again, there's hidden motivation. It has the appearance of goodness. Or as one guy said, hypocrisy is nothing better than skin-deep holiness. Skin-deep holiness. Hypocrisy is where you, you know, have the big Christian smile. And maybe we come in out and in and out from church and in and out from church. And everybody says, man, it must be great. Boy, that guy, praise the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. And everything looks so very, very good. But you know your own heart. You know the, the, the sin and the anxiety and the frustration and the hurts and the irritation and the hatred. And it's there. And it's just smoldering. And you're play acting. That's what a hypocrite is, is play acting. Now again, I'm not saying you're not a believer. Now again, remember Matthew chapter 23, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. But again, there was another type of hypocrite. Remember Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5? Sold. Apparently they had said that they were going to give it all. 
But again, their goodness only extended to the extent that they wanted to impress others. By the way, the money was theirs. They didn't have to give them all of it. They could have said, well, I'm going to give 10%. I'm going to give... Or they didn't have to say anything. But the, but the way it's played out in the story, and they lied against the, uh, to the Holy Spirit, is that they made it sound like they were going to give it all. Okay? So they deceitfully desired to make a show of their goodness. Probably by previously promising again to give it all. We're not supposed to walk away and show all our dirty laundry. I'm not saying that. But again, humility would say this. We are all struggling sinners. We need to be honest enough to be able to be open with each other. And even if if a person asks, and I I think part of it is us asking and you responding, but hey, how's everything going? Oh, fine, great. When your life is falling apart. Well, you're lying, but also that's a hypocrite. Be careful, because goodness says... I want to be real. I want to be genuine. You know, there is a cultivation factor. Uh, Ephesians 2.10. Write this down because the word is used here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Again, Christ died to make us good. Positionally, that's called justification. We are declared righteous, right? But not only that, but so that we could be practically good. He wants us to have good works. Again, the kindness, goodness kind of work together. The idea is, again, our antennas are up towards each other. By the way, those last three, that I mean, the, the second three, the first three, love, joy, peace, really has to do with our relationship with God, a lot of it. But then the, the uh, 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 peace transitions into long-suffering, kindness, gentleness. That's really three characteristics that have to do with how we respond to each other. Am I patient with you? Am I kind, actively good? Am I good towards you? Am I looking for your good, even to a point of sternness, tracking you down at times? I, I'll give you just one example. And that is found in uh, Romans 15. You can just write it down for time's sake. It says this, Romans 15:14. Now I myself am confident, Paul says, concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. He's talking to the Romans. You're full of goodness. He says... You're, you know, your heart, your life, your obedience, your, your, your people of integrity. He says you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Now catch this last part. Able also to admonish one another. That's why I say this, this element of goodness has this, excuse me, goodness has an element of sternness to it. He's saying, listen, I'm willing to even admonish you, which is the word warn. I'm willing to warn you. I'm willing to be like a parent who is willing to chasten their child. I, Paul says this, I understand in your life you are so loving towards each other, you're willing to risk the relationship to warn someone. It's in the body of Christ that, you know, maybe the direction you're going is not correct. Maybe you do it uh, uh, with a question mark, but you're willing to, to invest in other people's lives. I mean, you think about that word warn. Isn't that tough? I mean, think about if I came up to you today, I mean, before you leave this church, and I said, you know, I just want to talk to you. I see it in your life, and it just looks like you're going in this direction. I haven't, it seems like you have a lack of commitment, or it seems like, you know, when you say things, you say it with harshness. Is there something going on? It just, or maybe you see something in the person's life, and you go to them, and you say, you know what? I see this in your life, and it is sinful. And I just, I'm begging you to change direction. Why? Because God cannot bless you. God will chasten you as you are right now. That's what Paul says. He says, I see goodness, and that goodness is working itself out, even to the point of being willing to warn one another. Do we have that type of bond in our life right here? This body life right here? Are you able to, willing to even warn each other? And if you do it, you do it with the proper speech. Ephesians 4 says, Let no rotten word proceed out of your mouth, corrupt. But what is good, there's that word again, what is good for necessary edification. You know what good speech is? Good speech is when you speak and it edifies those around you. Man, those were hard words he said to me. But Lord, thank you that you sent him to me because now I'm on the right path. So again, do you have good words? 
And then finally, so we have kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And as we're on Mother's Day, I see this in mothers, faithful. But again, that's humanly speaking. We want to get on this supernatural level. This is what faithfulness means. Dependable. Reliable. Trustworthy. Loyal. Boy, aren't those great words? Do you have any friends like that? That they're dependable? And you know, even if they learned something really bad about you, they would still be dependable and loyal? To one another, that's how we should be. See, this is the type of person you can rely on. I've lived long enough to know I, I can rely on some people. There are some, many in this right here, this body of believers, that even if something was found out of a sinful nature and something that, oh, I can't believe John, they would still stick with me. I've also been, I've been around long enough to know there's a lot of people I can't rely on. I hate to say that, but that's the reality of it. There are some you can rely on and there's a lot you can't. Hopefully, though, we could say in this body of believers here, no, no, there are many, 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 many that we can rely on. They're dependable. They're reliable. By the way, where does this faithfulness flow from? Faith in God. Just put it that simple. Faith in God. When our attentions are focused on Him, a steadiness and a dependability develops as His claims and His law govern our actions. We're watching Him. God is very faithful. You know, even in his laws, he's faithful. Natural laws. Science is dependent on natural laws, certain things that are going to happen. He made a world that was consistent. His moral law is consistent. We we sang earlier, great is your faithfulness. That's out of Lamentations 3. And when Jesus Christ comes back, this is what his name is. He's called faithful and true. And we know he's faithful. Think about him being faithful. Philippians records his faithfulness. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, what? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Faithful to death. This word faithful is so very, very important. We need to see this being developed in our lives. And again, I'm not saying any of you aren't. I have seen some come and go that weren't. But hopefully you are dependable. You're dependable to the Lord. You're dependable and reliable to each other. Sometimes in a church we have to do hard things. Hopefully you stay faithful. Because that exemplifies our Lord. You know, the counterfeit to faithfulness, and again, there's a lot of different counterfeits, but one of them, it's it's a a lack of excellence. A lack of excellence. What do you mean? I'm saying faithful means I'm going to do the job, I'm going to be the person to the person completely. And sometimes we're not complete. Remember Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, at least in in our English versions? There was a dialogue or a debate between God and his people. The point was this. The people had been off to captivity. Now they came back. And they came back with a fervor at first. It started to wane. See, this new generation didn't stay faithful to the Lord. Other priorities came in their, in their lives, their houses, their people. I mean, their, their families, their businesses. And this is what they did. They began to look for ways to worship which would not entail the great expense which the book of Moses called for. They started to give to the Lord that which wasn't perfect, which the book of Moses, the law, said that it had to be perfect. And, and this is what he says, because they were bringing um, blemished animals. This is what God says to him. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is, not, is it not evil? You offer, you offer me blemished animals and you don't think that's evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. I mean, see if he'd accept it, because I'm not going to accept it. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Sometimes we don't do things with excellence. 
He goes over to verse 14, But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And yet you offer me blemished? Sometimes we take a vow, maybe not call it a vow, just a, a promise. And Lord, I want to go this, I want to do this. And yet you do it half-heartedly, lackadaisically. How does this play out? It's the Sunday school teacher who hastily prepares the, late, the lesson late on Saturday night. Hadn't thought about it, hadn't prayed for the kids, but they just hurrying to get done for Sunday, Sunday morning. It's the preacher who superficially finds three points in a text and adds three stories just to get the message out. It's the leader who is vocal in Word of Life meeting but never prays for their kids during the week. It is the pastor who is more concerned with his hours, work, than the progress of grace in his people. It is the Christian who settles for a smile on Sunday morning when a word of encouragement was in his heart to say. In other words, they weren't excellent. Better to do something excellent less, but do it excellent. Actually, I'm encouraged periodically when a person says, I can't do that. I have too much on my plate. I want to do those other things well. See, the the counterfeit to faithfulness is a lack of excellence. That's just one counterfeit, but you get the idea. So we need to cultivate this trustworthiness. How how can you uh, cultivate it? Well, one is loyal to others. The Bible says this, a friend loves at all times. Loyalty to others, a friend. If we're really a friend, we're going to be love at all times. How about this one? Dependable in emergencies. In the crises. This is what I find as a shepherd, and this is still hard for me. People go along in life, but it's during the moment of crises that they need me or others. It's at that moment. Every other time, you don't have to call them. You don't even have to speak to them for a month. But it's at that crises that they need. It's the dependability and the emergency. Proverbs 25, 19. Write that one down if you still have your book open. I know we're getting late. It says, confidence in an unfaithful man in a time of trouble. Confidence. I can trust him. He's reliable. And an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a bad truth and a foot out of joint. Last year I had an issue with one of my tooth. It was literally cracked in half. Finally it fell out. But the point was, is every once in a while I would hit that just right. Ooh! And when you have a confidence in an unfaithful man and they don't come through on that time of emergency, it's like, ooh! And finally, reliability or reliable for important tasks. Corinthians 4.2, Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. On a small, unpretentious tomb in Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore are some Greek words. And this is what it says, Faithful unto death. That's a, a quote from Revelations chapter 2. The stone marks the resting place of the body of J. Gresham Machem. How many of you ever heard of Machem? Never heard of Machem? His dependability and integrity showed itself in his scholarly devotion to truth and his defense of historic Christianity. He was a man that lived about 100 years ago at the turn of last century, and he was the man that was teaching at Princeton, and when Princeton started going towards modernism, liberalism, he stood. He stood firm, though people hated him for it, and actually then started Westminster, our theological seminary. But the point was he stood firm for truth. That's the point. He was faithful. He was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to his word. He was faithful to his people. Faithful unto death. He died still faithful in 37. Are you faithful? Are you faithful to the Lord? Are you faithful to his people? You know, if God's given you a job to do, are you faithful to that? Maybe he's called you to be a teacher, a leader. An encourager, administrator, counselor. What do you, are you faithful to what God has given you to do? Or are you the Sunday school teacher that is studying late on Saturday night just to get by for another Sunday? If you are, ask God to forgive you for that, would you? And say, Lord, I want to do it right. I want to be faithful to you, even if it takes me saying no to some other people. Let's stand as we worship him.
received him. That's Jesus Christ. To them he gave the right, the power to become children of God, right? To those, what? Who believe in his name. Have you believed in the name of Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith and trust in his finished work on the cross? You know, if you haven't, you can do that even right now. Cry out to Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive your sins, knowing that he can and will based on the sacrifice that he did on the cross. That's why Revelation 19, where it says, his name is called faithful and true. What he promises, he will do. He says, listen, you receive me, you can and will be forgiven. Have you put your faith in him? And again, if you are one who are, is a believer, are you faithful? Are you dependable? If you haven't been, be like that soldier that we looked at at the very beginning. He looked in the face of Christ. That was just a piece of wood. We can look in the face of Christ in the spiritual sense. He's looking at us. He's watching us. And maybe it's, it's this simple. You need to do your duty. You may say, you know what? I haven't seen myself as loving as I need to be. I haven't seen myself as patient. You've been telling me to go talk to that person and I haven't been doing active goodness. I'll be obedient. That's my duty because I'm a soldier in the army. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Let's start working on those as well, okay? Oh, by the way, I hope, I hope this is not how it feels in your life. Oh, Oh, I got another burden to bear. Every time I come to that church, I get another burden to bear. Remember, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be empowered by the Spirit because this is the fruit of the Spirit. But again, we have to be willing and humble and walk with Him. He'll produce the fruit. Lord, that's right. Because you know what? There is no better place to be than blessed by God. Oh, I can see the fruit of kindness and goodness and faithfulness in my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that this is not a burden to bear. No, this is fruit. This is excitement because I can see how you're transforming me. Isn't that, isn't that how you should think? I trust that's how it is. Father, again, we thank you for reminding us what you want us to be. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the power and the strength. Thank you that these are not burdens that we have to bear on our own. That this burden is, is really what you are bearing for us in many respects. Lord, I pray that you teach us to walk with you, to be filled by you. And Lord, that we might truly see these being fulfilled in our lives. Help us to be obedient. Help us to have our antennas up. Help us to take the step of faith by seeking to be obedient. And I pray that you would guide us now for your honor and for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.